Kelly, you know what I realized? What's that? I realized that we haven't really argued with each other on an episode for a while. Well, luckily, I never really have to wait too long for you to say something wrong. (laughs) Wow. Um, What did I say wrong this time? Well, after our Meet the Host episode, we were asked our opinion on having kids during that episode. And you said some interesting stuff afterward. You're talking about when I said that I didn't think it's ethical to have children? That would be one of the things you said that um, is a little controversial, I'm sure. Okay, I'm still waiting for you to point out what did I say that was wrong? Well, I mean, you stated it like it was a fact when it was clearly just an opinion. And if you're going to issue an opinion like that, then I get to take issue with it. I, I think it is categorically unethical for people to be having children, given the state of the world right now. Cool, then don't have one. <laughs> oh, I'm not, but also neither should anybody else. Okay. We get into some pretty dicey uh, autonomy territory when we start to use that kind of argumentation. Okay, but I remember that we talked about it and okay, it might be a little bit extreme. And so I offered a reasonable compromise in my mind that at least people should be adopting a child before they have their own. You think that's reasonable? I started with, it's just unethical to have children, period. I think the idea that it's unethical to have children before you've adopted is pretty reasonable. Hmm. It's interesting that you think that you're the one in the right here. Okay, well, tell that to all of the kids that are in the foster care system or orphaned around the world. Ask them who they think is reasonable. True facts. Josh has texted me and said, why do you hate orphans? (laughs) that's true and I'm just going to leave the context out so that people know you're a bad person cool I wasn't going to be able to run for office anyway extra extra read all about it podcast tackles controversies that define your world listen to indubitably now extra extra read all about it All right. So it looks like today we are going to be arguing. Sorry, we're going to be debating. Says we're civilized. Indubitably. Mm -hmm. We're going to be debating about whether or not it is unethical to have children before you have adopted. And I obviously am saying, yes, it is unethical. And I am saying, no, it's not unethical. So you're wrong. We'll see about that. Well, I'm going to start the discussion here, and I think I'll start with a bit of context. The first thing I want to point to is the fact that 140 million babies are born every year. Now, in contrast to that, guess how many orphaned or abandoned children there are in the world? I couldn't even begin to give you a number on that. That's why your opinion on this is so wrong. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are 132 million abandoned or orphaned children in the world. So almost the exact same number as we, as a species, horrible people that we are, create extraneously every year. I think that's an interesting comparison. But orphans consist of anybody under the age of 18, right? So the origin number of the orphans is is, uh, distributed across a larger time frame. Sure, that's fine. But what the point of this is, is that if we were to just adopt all of the orphans or abandoned children that are out there, we could go an entire year without having babies. And that would help a whole lot of things. It would help the orphans. It would help overpopulation. I don't see that as an unreasonable solution. I don't know. I've never accidentally adopted a baby, but lots of people accidentally make them. Yeah. And a lot of those accidentally made babies end up orphaned or abandoned. Not really their fault. I'm not buying your argument yet. (laughs) All right. Well, by the end of this episode, you will. And that actually brings me into my first argument. Let's kick this off. So 132 million orphaned or abandoned children out there, 140 million babies born every year, despite that fact. So let's talk about what the lives of those abandoned and orphaned children look like as new babies are being created uh, when they could have very easily joined families. I'm going to start with my motto, adopt, don't shop. 
Do you want me to take issue with that motto? Do you want me to start in on this so early? Mm, well, where did you get your cats from? They were adopted, but the alternative to adopting them mm-hmm. wasn't that I was able to home grow them. Adopt, don't shop for babies to be like adopt instead of getting like fertility treatments, maybe. But there are plenty of people who just like have babies that they didn't like financially generate through adoption or fertility treatments. Okay, but you could have gone to a breeder. You could have gotten your cats from a breeder. Did you do that? Why would I have done that? Because those cats are, quote, better. No, you know, you know, I'm a thrifty person. I'm going to go to the animal shelter when it's like half off black cat, black Friday deals all the time, any, <laughs> any given day. And so it, but it, it blows my mind. My point here, adopt, don't shop. It blows my mind how we as a society have decided that, you know, searching out a purebred animal, getting it from a breeder is a bad thing because there are so many animals in shelters who need loving homes. We should be adopting, not shopping. And if that's the case for dogs who are living in shelters, why is that not the case for orphans or abandoned children who are living in foster care or inside of the system? We care more about dogs and cats than we do about children. Your analogy fails catastrophically, catastrophically, perhaps. Oh, God. Because breeders are deliberately creating more animals to fill like a market void. Mm Mm-hmm. But there are no people who are deliberately having babies to like market them to to specific customers. Well, I don't think the analogy fails because those breeders are offering a purebred product to people who are looking to, you know, grow their family. And one of the major motivations, which we'll get to later, one of the major major motivations of parents to have their own children is to pass along their own genes. So I don't think the analogy is that far off. But the important part of the analogy is the idea that there are life forms, dog, cat, bunnies, don't forget bunnies, or children, the least important of the four, who are suffering and can be removed from that situation, but are not being removed from that situation. So there are children who could be adopted who are not getting adopted. Mm-hmm. I can I can buy that surface level, but I'm going to take a lot of issue with how you're going to go justifying that they should be foisted upon people who don't want them. Not foisted upon. (laughs) The the point here is that the people who don't want them, the reasons that they don't want them are selfish, uncaring, unethical. That wins me the debate. I'll I'll address this later. All right. So let's, let's get more specific into this. We have dogs living in shelters horrible situation oftentimes what about kids who are living in the foster care system so right off the bat in the united states for example the richest country in the world there's 600,000 children in the foster care system and they're there due to maltreatment this is things 76% of which are due to neglect 16% are due to physical abuse and 9% are due to sexual abuse That means that about 60,000 children are in the foster care system after being sexually abused. That is tragic, and the foster care system is highly problematic and needs reform. However, foster care is not a surrendering of parental ties. It is oftentimes a temporary placement in order to get parents into a place where they can take those children back into their homes or to place those children with other family members who can care for them. To say that all of the kids who are in a foster system, which is supposed to be a temporary situation, must therefore be adopted by people who would otherwise be having their own babies, voids the entire concept of foster care. No, I don't think so. Why is, you literally just said it, foster care is supposed to be temporary, and yet for a huge number of kids, they'll be in the system for three to five years. And why is it that they're stuck inside of this system for so long? The system itself needs reform. The answer to the system's ills is not to take all of the kids out of it and put them into families where they're not wanted. The families want a child because the families we're talking about are families who are going to be having a child. So for families that want a child, the reason it's unethical is because they want to create a new child 
again, from their own genes, rather than taking a kid that is in a system that is supposed to be temporary, and they have the capacity to end the weight, the tenure of that child who's institutionalized, and they choose not to. And that's why this supposed to be temporary system becomes borderline permanent. So you're saying to people who want babies, "Mm, you're going to get a 17-year-old who's got a drug-addicted mother instead. Where's the fairness in that for that family? Where's the fairness in that for the 17-year-old with a drug-addicted mother? Why does he want to get sent to a family that doesn't want him? The point is that the family should want him. Okay. We can talk about the idealized state where there's a, a chicken in every pot. There's a baby in every home. All of the people who are in the foster system are these adorable little babies that don't come from damaged past. But parents are not equipped to handle just any old kid that lands in their house. But the whole point of this discussion, my whole point here is not that this is how the world is going to be. But when I say ethical versus unethical, my point is that this is how the world should be, right? This is a value statement, not a policy proposal. Well, I've got some material I'll bring up later about how it's actually more unethical to do things the way that you are imagining them. Okay. I don't believe you, but we'll see. So let's take this let's take this out of the United States though, where people are stuck in this supposedly temporary system and the families who have the capacity to save them from it are not <clears throat> unethical and move it to an international scale where one third of all orphans worldwide live in sub-Saharan Africa. So again, we have capacity not just within our own country, say the U.S. parents adopting from within the American foster care system, but also, I'm not saying she's the best example, but the Angelina Jolies of the world who have the capacity to take people out of areas that are disenfranchised and impoverished, and then institutions within those areas where there are even more impoverished, even more disenfranchised, right? That it's, it's a child who is already a, a victim in society living in an institution that doesn't give a shit about it in a country or region that doesn't have the funds, even if they wanted to, to guarantee any reasonable quality of life. And you're cool with that. Of course, I'm not cool with it. I just don't think that your means of solving this actually achieves that. So if 140 million babies born a year, if for one year parents chose to adopt instead of have babies, literally every child in this scenario would now have a home. And that's not a solution. It's a pipe dream. It's unrealistic. No, yeah, you're not going to hear me at any point in this debate say that any of this is going to happen, but you are going to repeatedly hear me say that the people who are not at least doing their part to make it happen are unethical. Backing up and looking at the numbers in the US, because we're talking about like people just holding off on having babies for a year and adopting instead, the number of children who are eligible for adoption and in foster care, since you want to include those those kids as well in the U.S., compared to the amount of children who are born in the U.S., is vastly different. There are about 3.6 million babies born in 2022. So what we're saying is that 117,000 parents should have adopted instead of having children, but the rest could have had children. Who makes that decision? If there are more people looking for adoption than there are children who are adoptable, and there are less children adoptable than are born every year, then at what point do you put yourself in like the line to be like, I want to adopt and I'm going to wait nine months and we tell all the kids are adopted and then I'm going to pop one out. Yeah, I, I think there's a really easy response to that. It's really about just having the ethics of understanding that there are people, in this case, children who are suffering in the world and making an effort to do something to rectify that before you go off and follow your own selfish biological urges to pop out somebody that looks half like you. So if you have that mentality, you look at the foster care system, the adoptive system, and there are children there, you adopt them. And if we get to a world where all of those children have been adopted, I don't see how that's an argument for your side. I think that's an argument that says, hey, the world has finally acted ethically and we've solved this massive problem that exists right now. 
I don't think you're solving it. I will address this later, but I think you're misattributing the way to resolve the issue by attaching all of your efforts to a symptom rather than the actual cause. Yeah, there's no reason that we can't be addressing causes and at the same time doing something to help the victims of those causes that show up as symptoms in the system. But you think you're helping and you're not, which I will also address later. Oh, I'm helping. (laughs) Sure. The other thing that I think is important to consider here when we're talking about just these children who are directly impacted is the children in the foster care or the adoptive system around the world already exist. And I'm not sure why it matters if they're 17 years old, to point to your example. I'm not sure why it matters who their parents were, to point to your example. These are real children in real situations that nobody should have to be living in. And the choice that parents have when they're considering whether or not they want kids is, do we provide a family to a child that already exists on this planet, or is our obligation to this imaginary potential child that doesn't exist yet that we want to create? And I think just like straightforward, if we're talking about ethics, our moral obligation should be to the person that already exists rather than the person that is theoretical. So this is where I think that you're fundamentally misunderstanding a lot of the reasons that adoption has has to happen in the first place. It's not just that people want a baby, can't have a baby, and then go and find a baby that somebody else didn't want. There are many reasons that adoption has to happen that stem from structural inequalities that are not going to be resolved by saying, you have to go pick one of the already existing babies and then give it a home before you can have your own. So like, what are the reasons that biological parents would consider having someone adopt their children? Now you talked about the foster care and the issues of like, some are neglect, some are abuse situations, and those are tragic and they should be uh, amended or prevented in some way. But a lot of the times that people choose to have their children go up for adoption are because they have a lack of financial resources, They have addiction issues, which means that they have a lack of like recovery options available to them. They could be interrupting their career or educational plans, which means that they have a lack of financial security to help them get through having a child while also pursuing a career. Single parenthood is difficult, which means that it's a lack of financial resources and that a baby may have health issues, which means a lack of financial resources to take care of a baby with health issues. So like the reason that so many babies are being put up for adoption, in your opinion, is that the people who are having them can't afford them. That seems like we could solve it through, I don't know, ending capitalism. All right. But if we ended capitalism, then we might be having a very different debate right now. But so long as capitalism exists, I don't see how you're proving my point wrong. Well, I don't see how making people adopt babies first resolves any of these root issues for why there are unparented children. Uh, Again, not a policy proposal. I'm not making anybody do anything. I'm just saying if they don't, they're shitty people. I think they're shitty people if they don't address these root causes that adversely affect women, that adversely very much affect women of color. And even more so, adversely affect women of color under the age of 18. So I will say it's more unethical to force adoption as the way to become a parent then it would be to resolve these issues first. I, I'm fine with everything you're saying. Like, I don't, I just don't see how this is mutually exclusive. I think we should work on all those things too. I think a system that creates those problems is unethical. But I also think that when one of the outcomes of that scenario is a child without a family, um, maybe there's a family out there who wants to have a baby. Maybe they're not able to end systemic racism Maybe not. they're not able to take down the capitalist structure, but they are able to provide a home to a child who lives in the foster care system or a child who's ready for adoption, and they can do that. They want to do that if they choose adoption over having their own baby. Cool. But I think that a society that puts the primacy on the parenthood of the correct, better parent that has the resources and pushes the narrative that adoption is so great loses motivation to resolve these root issues. All right. So I want to move to my next argument because I think it addresses what you're talking about pretty directly. And if you're saying that the core issue here is poverty, lack of resources, and that 
these children that are institutionalized are just a symptom of that, then what is the number one root cause of poverty and these issues? And that would be overpopulation. So many world issues can be tied directly to just the number of people that we have on the planet. Poverty, famine, conflict, climate change, all linked to overpopulation. And so anything that slows the growth of the population helps exactly the issues that you're pointing to. And this would do exactly that. Overpopulation is a myth. It's a lack of resource allocation being distributed equitably. And it's been a myth that has been utilized to justify a lot of racist policies, like sterilizing indigenous people rather than letting them have brown babies. I think overpopulation is completely imaginary. It's resource allocation and it's capitalism. That's because you're liberal scum. Mm -hmm. Overpopulation might be mitigated by better resource allocation. But if we have X number of people on the planet, those X number of people have to live somewhere. And that every square foot that a person takes up, a rainforest does not. Every person on the planet is a person that then consumes, that then produces waste, that then contributes to pollution. So yeah, resource allocation in an ethical way would help the problems, but it would not solve them. I'm trying to decide how I want to respond to this because there's so many beautiful options. Except none of them will work. Pick the one that will get closest to working. A lot of the people who are susceptible to the myth of overpopulation point to very specific scenarios as being the situation globally. They look at very large urban centers in India and say, like, look at how concentrated everybody is living. This is how it must be everywhere. And then there's like so much arable land that is not even being farmed. There are so many additional resources to build out from cities rather than having people living on top of each other. And it's really an issue of perception rather than an issue of actual like infrastructure that's the problem here. There's a few people living in like really, really compacted scenarios some of the time, but that's not how it like actually works globally. Okay, well, riddle me this, Batman. If you had a perfect system of distribution, which would be your ideal world, is it still easier to distribute to 100 people or easier to distribute to 10 people? It depends on what you're distributing and how integrated the network is into other networks. <laughs> no, it, now you're just pulling shenanigans. The, the point is more people bring with them a higher need for resources, a need for space. They eat more cows. And Kelly, as a vegan, you should care about that, right? More people equals more problems. If you're really so concerned with how many people are being born, then take it back to my previous argument when we're discussing the root causes where lack of abortion access is one of the major reasons that babies are born that maybe shouldn't have been. Sure, do that too. Here's my point. Your strategy so far seems to be, here's a lot of other ways that we can solve this problem. Cool. I'm good with all of those things. I'm not saying those things are unethical. But if there is one child who needs to be adopted, and there is one family who chooses to have their own child instead of adopt that existing human being who is currently suffering, that family is unethical. You're putting so much into this idea that the solution is put child with family when that may be like the worst possible thing for that person. The worst possible thing is the foster care system. The statistics on what life is like inside of that system in the United States is literally like unthinkable. You talk about a lack of resources and a lack of distribution because of the fact that children are unable to advocate for themselves. No funding is given to these systems. Unlike a lot of the other things you talk about, say access to abortion, Planned Parenthood, etc. There are plenty of women like yourself who are able to advocate for themselves and secure funding to help deal with those issues. And Y'all even have an incredibly hard time of doing that, given the political climate. So how is a four-year-old supposed to secure funding, right? And this is the root of the problem. You want to talk about what is causing these issues. What's causing this is that the people who are suffering have no voice, no way of advocating for themselves. And so a family that ignores them is being unethical. 
But if a parent is so adamant about passing on their genes, and then they're like, but the first kid I'm going to have, I'll go ahead and adopt one who doesn't have my genes. Why would they treat that child as well as they would a child with their own genes passed on? Okay, well, first of all, if you get to paint this imaginary world where we end capitalism and we solve distribution problems, I can paint a world where people love children. I don't think that my anti-capitalism stance is unrealistic. I'm just like speaking it into existence every time we talk because I'm manifesting it. (laughs) Okay, well, let me see how that works out for you. I think that there's a lot here about the element of choice that you seem to be very frustrated with the idea that people get to choose how they want to be a family. I'm not frustrated, but I think that choices have a moral weight to them. People can make whatever choice they want, but the fact that it is a choice doesn't mean that whatever option you go with makes you an equivalently good person. But you're taking so many choices away from people, not even the adoptive parents, not even the children themselves. But all of the other people in the lives of these children who would prefer to have them in their families, like their extended family would, and the choice of the people who would rather keep the babies that they have, but they don't have systematic assistance to do so. It it seems like the only choice here is, like, if you want to be a parent, you get to choose from column A or column B. Nobody else's choices matter. Well, I think, and I'm going to talk about this towards the end of the debate, that that's what civilization is. That's what living amongst other people and having an impact on the people around you is about. There are certain choices that we take off of the table because if everybody made that choice, the world would just implode. And I think this falls under that category. But before I win that argument, I want to finish winning the overpopulation argument that we're on right now. And I think that the second tier of this argument, A, if we have less babies, overpopulation is reduced and a lot of problems are limited. But B, I think that it's especially relevant to this particular topic because if you look at the groups of people who deal with the effects of overpopulation, oftentimes those are the same people who are in these systems. We mentioned before, a third of all orphans in the world live in sub-Saharan Africa. When we talk about climate change, for example, linked to overpopulation, and the desertification that happens for regions of the world like that, it contributes to famine, it contributes to poverty, it contributes to the exact scenarios in which families now can't afford or have the resources to raise children and so abandon them or give them up for adoption. So to me, families in places like the United States, who are the prime contributors to, let's say, climate change because of their consumption, now have the ability to directly remedy that by taking a person out of a scenario where they're impacted by it and moving them to a better life. I think this relates to another aspect of why the overpopulation myth, specifically with like the birth rate, is something that is so harmful is that there are plenty of countries right now with rapidly aging populations, and they already have a declining birth rate. United States is one of them. Japan is another one of them. That they do not have enough young people being born into those countries to do enough to keep the aging population cared for through social safety nets. Now, you want to say, like, go adopt a baby first and then have a biological one so your family of four that way instead of just a family of three. That's still like just barely keeping the replacement rate for the population going. When we're having a declining birth rate, like we've been seeing, we are having some serious concerns about what's going to happen when all of the boomers start getting super sick and we're the ones that have to pay for it. It's not just that I don't think overpopulation is a realistic threat. I think that underpopulation is actually something that can become extremely problematic in countries that are structured the way that they are to rely so much on younger generations continuing to grow in order to care. Like, we're going to get old someday. What Do you want to like live off of cat food? Okay, you're about to love this because I can basically just rewind this episode and play your own argument to answer the point that you just made. If you think that underpopulation is a problem, I'll tell you that it's a myth because it's simply an issue of inequitable distribution of resources within the system. If we tore down capitalism, There is plenty of funding available to keep a population sustainable, 
even if it has a net negative growth. Your argument answers your own argument. Fuck you, Josh. <laughs> but I think I think that, you know, to answer that with something of my own, realistically, we just don't need more Americans being born. Americans are the ones that per capita contribute the most to pollution, for example, contribute the most to the amount of waste in the world. Don't you think it would be a better system if we could save somebody from the impacts of climate change, save somebody from the impacts of pollution, desertification, instead of creating a new person to contribute to those problems? You're just taking somebody out of sub-Saharan Africa and saying, you're no longer going to be a victim of climate change. You're going to actively cause it as a member of my household. That's better than a whole new person doing it. And maybe they'll be more environmentally conscious than an American baby. I don't know. The, the way that American culture is so pervasive and forces people into becoming like massive carbon emitters, I don't buy it. Okay, well, why do you hate diversity? <laughs> Wouldn't it be better? to bring babies from other parts of the world and have them adopted into families rather than sitting in an underfunded, underprivileged orphanage system? Families who are willing to accept children from different backgrounds into their families are already doing so. Forcibly putting a diverse situation together is probably going to become catastrophic and implode really quickly. Why do you only like white babies, Kelly? I don't only like white babies, but I will tell you, I have had people in my life who have had adoptions happen, and the amount of extra effort that it would require for a white parent to take care of a child who was non-white, the amount of education that is required of them to do a good job, the amount of research they had to do to see if they could actively parent a non-white child, led to a consideration that some adoptive parents would only seek white children. For the benefit of the children, I will address this more later. I get to quote you again. Ugh, it sounds so difficult being white. I have so much sympathy for that couple. It's not about the parents being white. It's about their inability to effectively parent a non-white child and therefore making things worse for a non-white child. Maybe they should educate themselves. Well, I, I don't know. Let's just stick them with a kid from the foster care that they didn't even want in the first place. Because they're bad people. I know you like to poke fun at the idea that it's like, oh, these poor white parents aren't going to get to have their white babies if we decide that they must do the ethical thing and take whatever baby is out there. But I think there's a real demonstrable harm to that because of the resources and capabilities that people, specifically wealthy white people, have that could drive further unethical behaviors. So it's not just an issue of them like being ethical or unethical in your framework, but your I want this to be the way that people are ethical measure is actually going to make people even more unethical. Haha. -ha. How how is me telling them that hey, this is the correct choice for you to make going to make them more unethical. So there are going to be people who subvert the entire system and make it look like they are going through with adopting an unwanted child, but they aren't. It would be about surrogacy. Basically, using the resources that they have to get around this entirely by having an outsourced womb, essentially, to have their biological child and then do an adoption from the, the surrogate parent that had birthed their child. So mm. you get your you have your cake and you eat it, too. Right. I appear very ethical because I've taken in an unwanted child whose parent didn't want them. Oh, no. Haha. -ha, but it's actually my own genetic material that's making up this baby. Oh, okay. I mean, yes, that would suck. But I feel like you're just making a generic black market argument here. And the answer to any generic black market argument is one, if we catch them, we can stop it. And B, like you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater just because some people could get around the system doesn't mean that the system itself is holistically problematic. So that's kind of a farcical scenario, right? I do think it is probably going to happen for like very wealthy people. But I think what's more likely to happen is that there are going to be like tiered adoptions that happen, that people who have the resources to go through private agencies who can pay thirty dollars to $50,000 a pop to adopt the baby of their choosing will get to just take the best of the best, right? They get to take the 
babies who were born but did not have like drug addicted birth mothers that don't have any sort of like potential for mental health uh, issues or they're actually infants. A lot of people only want to adopt infants. And then other people who want to be parents but are forced to go through adoption to do so, to be ethical. I guess you're not putting it forth as a policy measure, but they want to be ethical. So they're going to go through adoption, but they don't have the same resources. They're going to be saddled with all of the children of any age that the people with the most resources just didn't want. So there's going to be a market effect, essentially, when you're saying that everybody who wants to be ethical needs to do it the specific way, which is to adopt before having a biological child. But the way that adoptions work mean that they get to like tool around in the system and get their preferred outcome when they have the money to do so. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. But I think you're describing the status quo. And I think that my solution would solve that. So in the status quo, people that want to adopt have a vision of the child that they want. And you're right. It's most of the time a baby, most of the time healthy. Most of the time, if they could identify the parents and ensure that there's the least chance for complication possible, those kids do get adopted, right? You're 100% right, but that's what's happening right now. And then when you get to the way you make it sound is I think the way that people think about it, the leftovers, they just decide, uh, you know what, never mind, we'll have our own kid or I'll wait for the next baby that meets my qualifications to come through. And that's the whole reason we're having this debate. It's the whole reason that there are so many kids out there that stay in this temporary system for so long. Under my world, where people accept the fact that it is unethical to have a child before adopting, when they get to the leftovers, they don't see them as a product that's defective. They see them as a human being that deserves to have a family and they adopt them. So I, I think you're identifying the problem, but you're not seeing how my world solves it. I don't buy your scenario. Your scenario is adopt a less desirable child or make one of my own. In the scenario where ethics are the main concern here, the choice then becomes adopt a less desirable child or not become a parent at all. I would rather not parent a child who has like schizophrenia and was uh, born addicted to drugs and has some sort of physical malady, right? This is a this is a person who's like, I want to become a parent under optimal situations, or I would rather not be a parent at all. In which case, we solve the overpopulation problem. You leave children unadopted. They're going to be unadopted because people just say, fine, then I won't be a parent anyway. Right. But I, again, I think that I still have a better world here because in your world, they would not adopt the baby anyway, or the teenager anyway, they would make their own. Now we have overpopulation. In my world, if they don't adopt, at the very least, we're not contributing to more Americans being born, more carbon emissions, more cows being eaten, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So while we don't get my direct benefit of children being adopted in that scenario, I still think we get a secondary benefit. So either way, my world is better. Your imagined environmental harms from too many babies. Sure, I guess you might win that point. Those babies are going to eat meat, Kelly. Veganism is on its way out. That's definitely not true. And you know that. <laughs> You're right. That one's not true. But uh, either way, I, I do buy that overpopulation is an issue. So I think that if the only benefit that I get in this debate is that one less child is born, I'm fine with it. Even if that particular family, they're assholes, they don't, they want their perfect baby and they don't adopt. I'm still happy with that outcome. Okay. I'm glad you are. And it leads me to the, what I've been hinting at kind of throughout the episode. And I know you don't like how I characterized it, but there is an obsession with passing on your own genes. And I don't understand how people don't see this as just borderline eugenics, not borderline, just outright eugenics, borderline racism. What gives people the right or how is it ethical to desire a particular set of genes in a person? And how does that not run in direct conflict to any of the progress that we're trying to make in terms of race relations, ableism, gender, any of the isms? How can somebody say that they want their own genes passed on and not fall under the 
morally just repugnant category of any of the things we're trying to weed out as a society in terms of what a proper person or a superior person should be. I think you're vastly overstating the nefarious nature of wanting a child that looks like your your family, that it's not just about, I want to have a white child because I want the child to be white like me. It's like, I like a child that looks like a combination of myself and my partner, or I like a child that could have the same eyes that my grandmother did. Why? You know, there's, because there's a way to create a bond with a child that exists when those things happen. If that is something you, you desire that if you lose the opportunity to have that, the way that your relationship with a child would be formulated could be compromised. If that is something that you have valued, it's not to say that it's right, that that's what they value in having their child look like them. But the fact is, if they would treat a child adversely, because it does not have the characteristics they're seeking, that would be very bad for the child. And it would make the person unethical. But how is giving, you know, like, let's say that your ethical scenario here for adoption is like, you actually do put forth a policy measure where people have to like sign up and say, I'm interested in being a parent. Cool. There are all these adoptable children. You have to take one first before you can give birth. Cool. And it's like a random lottery. And that's the only way to make it equitable. That's a good idea. And a very racist family, a very racist family winds up with a child of color. What happens in that scenario? Racism is solved or is like the child like completely abused? Okay, but take that same family. Here's the problem with debating with somebody that knows you well. Take that same racist family. And you're telling me all of the good intentioned reasons for why somebody might want a child whose eyes happen to be blue like their grandmothers or whose skin happens to be white like their grandparents. Are you telling me that somebody that, say, stormed the Capitol building last year, uh, you know, with flags and tiki torches, etc., when they say they want to have a white baby, it's because they want to share a bond with it? Is that the reason they want a white baby, Kelly? I didn't say any reasons that they have for wanting a child that looks like them are necessarily valid reasons. I'm saying that if they don't have a child that looks like them, the child will be treated adversely. I just don't think a family like that should be having any children, period. And I definitely don't think that any of their genetic material should be passed on. Ah, there we go. Are you saying that racists should propagate, Kelly? I'm saying if the choice is between a racist having a child that they don't abuse versus having a child that they will absolutely abuse, I know which of those scenarios I'd prefer. Do my questions become more impactful if I finish them with your name, Kelly? It sounds like you're reading off of a note card, Josh. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm just wondering if it made me sound more persuasive or not. So I, I think that what I have to say next is actually incredibly responsive to what you've already brought up about like the genetics thing, but also the entire issue of why someone would want to become a parent in the first place. There are no altruistic reasons for being becoming a parent. There might be some people who want to do things in the best interest of their children, and they want to do good for children and give a home to a child who may not otherwise have one. But there are no purely altruistic reasons to have a child, because there is some sort of benefit that a parent is actively seeking in order to become a parent in the first place, because the most altruistic thing would be to not have a child whatsoever. So what are the reasons that people become parents at all? First, it's like some sort of vanity issue, like you've mentioned, that it like the baby looks like me. I am validated as a person. I felt so good about my genes. I wanted to make sure there was another carbon copy of me out there. Or I desperately want someone else to love, and therefore I'm going to make one from scratch because I can't get any other humans to do it. Or the ego trip of like saving another person from a dire outcome, and so on and so on and so on. Th those reasons sound like they suck, right? Mm -hmm. They're necessary in order to become a good parent, though, is that if there is not some sort of selfish, like self-actualization that comes from being a parent, there's no benefit to the parent who is doing the parenting, then they do a shitty job of it. If the child doesn't look enough like them, or if they don't get the kind of like love and relationship that they want, or they have an extremely adverse time trying to take care of their child because of health issues, they become worse parents for it if they didn't go into that willingly and voluntarily. I have a story. 
to, to illustrate my point here. I'll, I will sit crisscross applesauce on a rug and listen to your story. So when I was like 17, I wanted a Burberry scarf. Do you know what Burberry is? That's like the plaid one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I'm fashionable. I wanted that scarf so badly. I like lusted for this scarf for months, outwardly, openly. And for my birthday, there was a soft present like wrapped in like a roll shape that was on the dining room table. And I went for it and I said in front of my mother and my father, I bet I know what this is. And it was a hand knit black chenille scarf that my mom had made. It was beautiful. It was warm and it was not what I wanted. And I don't know where it is right now. So like if I wanted a baby and I wanted a Burberry, but I instead got like a really good scarf that was not a Burberry, I probably would also lose it in my garage. That was a good story. That was like very Mr. Miyagi-esque. I'm saying if you don't let people become parents on their own terms, the way that they specifically want to become a parent, you're going to actively make things more difficult for them as parents and also make things really, really hard for the children themselves. We're talking about children who are raised by white parents who are ill-equipped to deal with children of color. We're talking about children with disabilities whose parents did not think through the idea of like raising a child with disabilities. And there are a growing number of people who have been adopted who discuss the uh, ego trip that fueled the adoption process and how they were actively abused by their adoptive parents because there was some weird like mental attachment to the idea of like saving a child that fed into their self-image and a lot of really horrible emotional dynamics between all of these people. You have to make sure that the people who are signing up for being a parent are going into it accepting the outcome of whatever child they're going to get. And if you force them by saying you won't be ethical unless you do it this specific way, you're not going to get an optimal outcome for those children. And it probably is better that they don't get adopted in that context than deal with like horrible parents that they cannot take care of in the way that they need to be taken care of. Wait, that was your point? I thought you were trying to tell me there were plaid babies. How much do you keep my size in the edit? <laughs> I try to get rid of all the size. On a more serious note, I think that you're right. There has to be some sort of selfishness in parenting. But I think that the premier selfishness, if you want to call it that, is the one that you identified where we have an urge or a need to care for something, to raise something, and to make the world better or prepare that something for the world. And I think that all of those urges and all of those, if you want to call them selfish tendencies, can be experienced just as easily through having an adopted child as having a biological child. There are plenty of people who would do wonderful jobs taking care of any child that they have, whether it was adopted, whether it was the child that they had biologically. But as soon as we make that something that is a pressure from external sources and we force people through through social pressure, through other means to make these decisions without their full, complete, voluntary acceptance of those decisions, that starts to erode the capabilities of them to be the best parents possible because they are not making those decisions with the best interests of the children in mind. Okay, so what about this scenario? Let's say one of those same families has a child biologically and their child turns out to be physically disabled in some way. They have now been forced by nature to have a child that doesn't match the image of the child that they might have wanted originally. If that family were to give that child up because they didn't want to deal with the differences that that child posed to them, they didn't want to deal with the hardships of having to learn what it was like to have a disabled child, would you say that that family is ethical or unethical? Yeah, there might be some parents who decide that they cannot parent a child under those situations. I'd say it's probably the more ethical decision to not parent them if they're going to parent them poorly. So then what is the difference between that child where nature forced you to have a child other than the one that you imagined in your mind versus 
my code of ethics forced you to take on a child other than the one that you had imagined? Because when it happens in nature, that's just random chance. But when it happens because of ethical pressures from Josh, I lose my free will. And just like the natural order of the universe is is violated because of Josh's ethic code. My ethics are pretty random, to be fair. They're, well, that's true. I want to bring this discussion back a little bit to the idea of who actually is having these children that need to be put up for adoption or put into the foster care system, which I think, Josh, I think you've been trying to avoid. So we've already talked about the reasons why a lot of people who have babies, babies they may actually otherwise want, would put a baby up for adoption. But I think we also need to talk about the reasons why a child may be put up for adoption when a person has a baby they otherwise would not have had in the first place. And I think this comes down to the entire like structural inequalities that affect women and women of color specifically very um, disproportionately. So I know you're like talking about like the ideal state of the world, but the the current state of the world right now is that in the United States, way more people are seeking adoption than there are children who are available for adoption. One of the specific pieces of language that was used in the overturning of Roe versus Wade last year was that there was a diminishing, quote, domestic supply of infants to adopt. And that the reason that they wanted to prevent abortion access was to make sure that there were more unwanted pregnancies so that people who were seeking adoption could become parents. Because it was more important to make sure that people became parents on those terms than it was to make sure that people who didn't want to be pregnant didn't have to be pregnant. So who does that affect most most of the time? women who lack resources, right? So like women of color. The fact that adoption and the primacy of becoming a parent at all is put on this pedestal hurts women ultimately because we want to make some people parents at any cost. The idea that like you have to have an adopted child first before having a biological child does nothing to kind of undo that narrative altogether. I've got three responses to that. First of all, uh, note that Roe v. Wade says domestic supply. Again, I think that there are plenty of people internationally that need to be adopted and are not being adopted. Two, I don't disagree in any way, shape, or form that we should be providing as good access as possible to prevent pregnancies that are unplanned, unwanted, etc. I think it would be pretty contradictory of me to say that this is unethical because we should reduce the amount of children who have to be institutionalized in the world and then in the same debate say that I would be opposed to anything like that. So uh, I I think that I can have both sides on that particular issue. Um, Three, I guess the way that I would, would be contradicting that is if I buy this narrative, which is you saying that my code of ethics pressures people into having children when they might not want to otherwise. And here I just disagree. I think that it does the opposite. I think that suggesting to people that they need to put a pause on having children of their own for whatever reason, and in my case, the reason being that there are already children out there who need to be adopted, I think does the opposite. I think it puts out a narrative that says we should be careful about bringing new lives into this world, and we currently are not. So I I just don't think that I agree with that underlying premise that you're putting forward there, that my worldview contributes to a mindset that tells people that they should be forced into a situation that they don't choose to be part of, particularly women of color, etc. So let's take this into your framework a little bit more. And talk about what happens if we're coding everybody who has a biological child first as unethical. What happens to women who have birth control fail? What happens to women who don't have access to an abortion? What happens to all of these people who lack all of these accesses and end up having babies anyway, but they did it the wrong order? Like, how do you characterize somebody who had a baby? unethically in your framework, but they didn't really have a choice. I think that intent plays a big part into any kind of ethical framework. So if somebody chooses to circumvent, say they have the money to adopt a child, there's a child sitting in front of them 
Um, it matches all their criteria, white, abled, substance-free, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever their you know, perverted, perfect image of a baby might be. If that family rejects adoption and has their own baby, they are like the most unethical. If somebody is a victim of circumstance and has a baby through no intention or no direct action of their own, well, there has to be at least like a direct action taken. But beyond that, I think that it carries with it significantly less weight in terms of moral repercussions. And I think that's standard for any kind of ethical judgment. So this brings me to my ultimate question for you then, Josh. What do we get out of calling these people unethical if they have a biological baby instead of adopting? What good does that do? I get to feel like I'm better than them. Well, you already think you're better than them because you're not having children, right? Mm-hmm. Very true. This is my reasonable stance. Remember, my original stance was just having babies, period, is unethical. Be real, though. What happens when we code something as being unethical? It does have actual impacts on how people behave and how policy is formed. So if we were to take this stance socially mm-hmm. and say that it is unethical to do it this way, but people are going to do it that way anyway, what happens? This actually, I think, leads me nicely into my last argument. I think this argument will answer that question for you. And that is what we consider civilization, being civilized, advancing as a species, I think comes down to repressing harmful instincts that we have, harmful urges that we have for the betterment of society, the people around us, and the world at large. So to take this back a lot further, and I'll I'll bring us to the debate today in a second, But to take this back, you know, it used to be that if we wanted something, if we needed something, we could steal it from our neighbors. If they got in our way, we could murder them or we could assault them. And, you know, as a species, we would act out on any sort of biological impulses that we had. And as we started to structure societies and become more, quote unquote, civilized, we started recognizing that. Maybe the urge to steal from your neighbor is something that we need to repress. Maybe the urge to assault the girl that you see across the street is something that we need to repress. There are certain instincts that we have as human beings that are not healthy, that are not civilized, that need to be repressed. And I think that the urge to have children is a leftover instinct. And we're getting to the point because of the issues I talked about earlier with overpopulation where we need to start restricting that urge for the betterment of society, for the betterment of people around us, and for the betterment of the world at large. So what do I want to get out of this? I want to get out of this a world in which people who are in a scenario where they are going to make a choice that's going to impact themselves, this child that either already exists in an institution somewhere, or they could be bringing into this world, they could be birthing, and everybody who's indirectly affected by that choice, what I want to get is that people in that scenario start to think about something other than just how their biology makes them feel or makes them want, and they think about the ramifications of their actions. That's what I want. And I think that if they do that, they will make the choice that I'm suggesting is the ethical choice. They will adopt a child before they decide to have one of their own. And I see an outcome where the people who are ostracized or otherwise looked down upon in society for having biological children first are going to be the people who are blamed for so much of what happens wrong in society as it relates to children existing and being born and whatnot. Primarily, it's going to fall on the shoulders of women to be the ones that uphold your ethical standard. And the people who are going to be least capable of upholding that standard are going to be women of color. Now, I know you want to paint a lot of this as intention, and that there's going to be people having babies that they probably didn't intend to. But if you're painting this as an ethical decision, how are people going to know the intentions of the people who had biological children? A lot of people, especially in the 1980s, accused a lot of Black women of having as many children as possible to exploit the welfare system. 
that's probably not the intention behind the children that they had. It was probably like a lack of resources and access to abortion um, care and access to like family planning and things along those lines. But people don't give a shit about intention. They see what they see and they make a value judgment off of it. And by having this domineering attitude about whether it's good to have an adoption first or it's okay to have a baby first, you're going to steer a narrative which is going to further demonize people that are already treated very poorly by society. Well, I don't need to convince you. You're not going to convince me. We have two very different worldviews. You only like white babies. But I suppose the answer here is to pass it over to our listeners at the end of this debate and ask them which worldview they find more realistic, which stance they find more persuasive, and perhaps they can let us know that at our socials. Yes, you can reach out to us at Indubitably Pod on both Twitter and Facebook and ask Josh, why does he hate Black women so much? Oh my gosh. Neither one of us can run for office anymore after this podcast. No. I am surprised, I have to admit, that you didn't make the number one argument for your side in this debate. Hmm, what argument is that? I thought I made the best arguments on this side. <laughs> that I genuinely would not have a response to. Hmm. My cat was adopted. And I'm pretty sure if I got a purebred cat instead, it wouldn't be trying to murder me every night. No, Josh, I'm pretty sure that whatever cat you had would have as much antipathy for you as this one does. <laughs> I have. I can say that I have adopted all of my animals. So that makes me a good person. Hey, me too. We can we can agree on one thing. We're both really good people. When it comes to animals. Yep. Just not babies. Yep, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>